Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a special episode of How Do We Fix It? We're recording this show one day after rioters, encouraged by the president, stormed the U.S. Capitol. In the weeks and months to come, there's going to be a lot to say, but, but right now we're all shaken. Ever since we launched this podcast, Richard, we've talked about how the country heals, how we encourage healthier conversations and uh, oppose the kind of alienation and extremism that, that drives so many apart. And it's a discouraging morning looking back at the events of yesterday we have a long way to go. Political scientist Lee Drutman, where do we go from here? I mean, I think what Trump has done is is criminal. I, I think what a number of Republicans in Congress have been doing is borderline incitement to riot as well. It's a moment in which we, we simply cannot tolerate, justify, make excuses for what happened. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How, how do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? Richard, I was out on a hike with my family. I took a, a day off. It was a beautiful day for a hike and just was had a lovely day. Got back to the car in the late afternoon and checked my phone and... Twitter just lit up with scenes of, of something to me very, very horrifying. And I think we all we all felt this and we all feared this might be coming. Being the Pollyanna that I am, I always thought, oh, don't get your knickers in a twist. It might not be that bad. We've had these conversations many times on this show, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think I was with you. I was hoping that we could all get through this relatively unscathed and and how wrong I was. Unlike you, Jim, I was actually watching the play-by-play as it happened and felt I was on a, an emotional roller coaster throughout the awful events at the Capitol. I thought we'd check in with one of the leading political scientists of our time, a man who has argued uh, for fundamental reforms of our democracy. We called Lee Drutman. Lee is a political scientist and associated with the New America Think Tank. He was on our show, episode 239, talking about his book, Breaking the Two-Party Doom Loop, in which he advocates for opening up our political system so it's not reliant on these two political parties, but it has a more diverse 
group of potential parties that people can can gravitate to. And once again, Jim, we recorded this show one day after the utterly shocking events at the U.S. Capitol. I started by asking Lee for his take on what's just happened. My personal response is that I'm shaken. I feel sick to my stomach. I am also not surprised. I'm angry uh, and I'm determined. I feel like we are really in a fight for the continuation of American democracy at this point. And uh, the good news is that I think the pro-democracy forces outnumber the anti-democracy forces, but I think we have to join together and, and act like it. When you say you're not surprised, why? Well, I'm not surprised because the president has been inciting violence, because he's been telling his supporters that the election is stolen, because the Republican Party has for years been telling voters that if they lose the election, then everything that they stand for will be taken away from them. And because right-wing forums, all kinds of internet conspiracies have been calling for violence, there's been a sort of sense on a lot of these message boards that we are about to have a second civil war, and there's been a kind of valorization of this this violence uh, in a lot of corners. And even just right before the storming of the Capitol, um, the president's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, was calling for trial by combat. Lee, in your book, Breaking the Two-Party Doom Loop, you talk a lot about how this two-party system sometimes leads to a kind of all-or-nothing approach to politics. You either win or lose, and, and um, something that perhaps drives people to the extremes more than a system that might provide voters with more options to express their particular uh, concerns. Do you, you see any of that playing out here? I mean, that's certainly how uh, this election has been perceived, uh, right? I mean, that Trump and uh, his allies have been saying for a long time, if Democrats win, they will use their powers to to destroy the American way of life. And it's that all or nothing thinking that follows from from an all or nothing political system in which one side wins total power and the other side feels totally shut out. And we know from looking at history of democracies is that when one side feels shut out of power and feels like it has been illegitimately denied power, violence becomes the other option. Lee, you were among political scientists who oversaw an opinion poll that asked Americans if they thought it could ever be justified for the political party they support to use violence to advance its goals. The overwhelming response three years ago was no. Just 8% of Americans said that it could. But that same question was asked a few months ago, and a considerably greater number of people answered yes, violence might be justified. Discuss those findings. Yes, it's a hard thing to poll because it's it's not clear what people always mean by violence. Also, what 
people might say to a pollster doesn't necessarily describe what actions they would actually take in the real world. But nonetheless, it's it's quite disturbing to see that there's been probably at least a tripling or a quadrupling of, of the share of Americans who endorse violence. Now, I, I also want to focus on the on the, the positive side of that, which is the overwhelming majority of Americans still reject violence. But again, I, I think the, the challenge that we're in right now is that a, a minority of Americans who uh, believe in violence, who uh, you know, don't believe in, in democracy, are having an outsized effect on our political system because they've taken over, to a large extent, a single party. And that party is the Republicans. You have a way of taking a long view on some of these trends. What are some of the roots of this rise in tolerance for considering that, that violence might be uh, an acceptable path towards political change that, that we've seen in our society, not just in the last few months or years, but perhaps going back a little farther? What's happening? How do democracies get to violence? It happens in moments in which political parties basically divide in, into into two coalitions or just you know two parties in which you have a, a real binary split and one side sees the other side as not just the opposition but also the enemy, not just a, a different political party but a threat to their existence. And under such conditions, democracy doesn't hold because democracy requires free and fair elections in which there is a, a process that everybody believes is fair and that if your side loses, then you know that's okay. But if the other side poses such a threat that losing is just not okay, then anti-democratic means, violence, uh, other abuses of power then suddenly seem justified because the threat of the other party taking power seems so dangerous. So that's where we are now in the United States. It's a far cry from the political system of decades ago. What happened? How we got here is a, a long and complicated story. But you know, I, I think to oversimplify it, you could talk about three broad trends, the broader nationalization of of our politics, you know, more and more of the focus of people's energies has been on Washington and, and the uh, control of power in Washington. Basically, we've had 30 years of extremely close national elections. So the closeness of elections is a second factor in which 51 or 52 percent majority leads to total power and leaves the other 48 percent out of power. And you know, the third is the, the sorting of the political parties and that we used to have these sort of much broader overlapping political parties, you know, liberal Republicans and conservative Republicans, liberal Democrats and conservative Democrats. And so it, you know, it didn't matter so much which party took power because folks across a broader spectrum of values and ideologies would be represented somehow, no matter what. But as the two parties have really sorted into these very distinct and non-overlapping coalitions, that has raised the stakes of these elections. And, you know, I, I think there's a, another point that's a little bit more, more subtle, but it's that the parties themselves remain these sort of broad coalitions in which there's not as much agreement as you might think. 
but the way that the parties maintain their their unity is through demonization that, you know, there's actually within the Republican Party, I think in particular, there's a lot of disagreements about the, the policy direction of the party, but what holds the party together, and I think part of the reason that Trump has been so successful is a hatred of the left, and Trump has really elevated that as the unifying force. Talk about President Trump's role in all this. He, for years, has said that American democracy is a fraud. He has talked about his opponents as being enemies of the people. It was clear that if the election didn't go his way, that he would deny that it was held in any way fairly. And yet, the election was fairly close. Is that a shock in itself that so many people knowing that we had a president who didn't believe in democracy voted for him? Well, the, the election is a binary choice and most people will find reasons to justify supporting their party. And it may be because they are enthusiastic about being Republicans or they may be terrified of what it would mean for Democrats to be in power because they've been fed a series of extreme caricatures and lies about the democratic agenda as somehow you know, eliminating all police and, and having statist socialism. But when you surround yourself with other people who share your same political beliefs and consume a media diet of basically propaganda, uh, it's very easy to see the other side as far more extreme and radical than they are. At the Republican National Convention, Mike Pence gave a speech in which he said that the election is fundamentally about whether America remains America. Right? I mean, think about think about that for a minute. That is a profound statement. And Republicans were seen as the defenders of that, and you know, because Republican voters have a longstanding allegiance to the Republican Party, uh, they continue to support Trump. So it doesn't surprise me at all that the election was close. People who are Republicans and consume Republican media have a very different perspective of Trump than, than I do, and uh, a very different perspective of the left than I do. Lee, just to push back a little bit, um, and not to defend the, the the Trumpian worldview by a long shot, but we did just have a year in which there were riots across the country that were relatively tepidly criticized by by many on the left. There were quite a few people who said defund the police, even abolish the police. And when and when other leaders on the Democratic side said, well, we don't really mean that, some of them came back and said, oh, we, we absolutely do mean that. So an agenda that did move decisively left. I mean, Noam Chomsky, uh, before the election, said that he was thrilled to see the most left-wing platform that he'd seen in, in memory from the Democratic Party. Aren't we seeing both sides kind of be more tolerant of their most extreme elements than would be desirable? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's certainly correct to say that the Democratic platform is more to the left than it has been in a very long time. But does that have anything to do with subverting democracy? Well, that was that was my next point, is that the big thing, that actually, is that the, the big difference between the left and, uh, or the sort of far left and the far right, is that the far left is fundamentally supportive of representative democracy, believes that should be easy to vote, just not 
question election results, whereas I think the far right is fundamentally about subverting democracy at this point. And on the issue of democracy, I mean, there is absolutely no equivalence between Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. There is no equivalence between AOC and Josh Hawley. Didn't Hillary Clinton question whether the election was fair? She raised some questions, but she conceded immediately. As someone who comes from a more conservative side, I often see the elements of extremism on the left that don't get a lot of attention. They they don't get condemned, I think, as, as much as they should. But you also don't want to fall into a sort of a false equivalence. I mean, this is a, a dramatically new phase for us, what happened yesterday. And, and I certainly think that people on the right need to make sure that they don't dismiss just how scary and serious this is. Well, amen. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And coming up, we'll discuss some potential solutions. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. We're back with Lee Drutman of the New America Think Tank. Lee, what do we do with all this? We're troubled. We're upset. We're disturbed. We're shaken. But what next? Well, to me, the answer is democracy reform. And I think the fundamental problem is that we have a a two-thirds, probably, pro-democracy coalition that is unable to act like a supermajority. And there is a minority of anti-democratic ethno-fascists who have taken over uh, the Republican Party. And because we have a a two-party system, there's really no space for those on the right who believe in democracy to operate. So my view is we need a more multi-party proportional system in which a a center-right party could distinguish itself from a a far-right extremist party and work with a coalition of liberals from, you know, maybe somewhat to the left to a little bit further to the left to, you know, marginalize the extremists. And, and the, the model here is Western Europe. I mean, you, you look at 
Germany as as an example there. Uh, you know, there there is a far right party, but they are uh, not in government. To me, that's the solution. We change the way we run elections. We make them more proportional. We allow space for more parties. And that that also is a way of breaking what I call the two-party doom loop, which is this escalating sense that the other side represents an existential threat, which justifies more and more extreme actions. Are there some other things we can do in how we discuss this, how we how we frame it, how we talk about it with our friends and families that could help lower the temperature? To me, I think it's important to to call out the enemy for what it is. I mean, I think what Trump has done is is criminal. I, I think what a number of uh, Republicans in Congress have been doing is, you know, borderline incitement to riot as well. It, it's a moment in which we, we simply cannot tolerate, justify, make excuses for what happened. Back in the 60s, there was a th- that whole sort of rabidly anti-communist John Birch Society wing of the Republican Party that uh, many podcast listeners might not realize how how wacky these people were. And it wasn't just that they were against communism, which was a real thing. It's that they literally thought that there were communists all over the government and, and it needed to be rooted out in sort of Joe McCarthy style. And the Republican Party had a strong enough center and respected leaders, even on the far right, like a Barry Goldwater, um, who were able to come together and kind of push that crazy wing out of the party, not tolerate them. Could you see something like that coming up out of the ashes of, of these events? Maybe. I, I, I certainly hope so. You know, I, I think there's a pretty deep rot now that has expanded to levels of power that the far-right Bircher societies of the 50s and 60s never quite did. You know, I mean, maybe we will have the Joe McCarthy moment uh, in which suddenly Trump goes away and there's a, everybody suddenly says, you know, what have we, what have we wrought? But the thing that makes me uncertain about that is just how much the supporters of Trump have been outspoken and how many people who had previously opposed Trump have justified and pandered and echoed his craziness. That being said, are you hopeful in any way that this is a wake-up call? Um, you know, I, I am hopeful. Uh, you know, I think this has been a tremendous wake up call for a lot of people there there's a sense that you know these people actually mean business and uh and by these people i mean the people who attended the trump rally and stormed the capitol and the and the people who took the podium at the trump rally and that you know th- this is not just peaceful protesting this is this is violence this is terrorism and th- this is a real threat Finally, there's a, a wake up moment in which, you know, a lot of folks on the right are saying, oh, we actually have to condemn this. Uh, and you know, I think people are, are looking for an alternative way of, of governing ourselves at this moment. Thanks a lot for joining us. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Thanks for, for reaching out and thinking of me.
political scientist Lee Drutman of the New America Think Tank. Coming up, our conversation. One of the things that I found most interesting about this interview, Jim, was your question regarding the 1950s and the John Birch Society, that we do have what one political scientist called a paranoid style in our uh, political system. This pops up every once in a while. I don't in any way want to uh, dismiss the awful events of this past week, but it, it, it's not entirely unprecedented. Right. Richard Hofstetter, the historian, wrote that essay, The Paranoid Style in American Politics, I think around 1962. You can find it online. It's a wonderful piece of writing. He was focused on these extreme, delusional, ultra-right wingers. I actually saw that revived in the mid-early aughts uh, with all the conspiracy theories around 9-11. I think some of the roots we're seeing of the problem today were revealed early in the willingness of so many people, and then mostly on the left, not on the right. Uh, it was uh, so many people to think that the people running our government were evil and and incredibly powerful and 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 able to organize these vast conspiracies. And some of them were, you know, talking about the need to overthrow a corrupt government. A lot of the kind of stuff you see here started back then, but then it got picked up by the right. And you have to look at Trump as a major driver of this. You can't forget, you know, he went on the Alex Jones radio show when he was campaigning for president. I was horrified by that. And this idea that you can define your own reality by your politics. You don't have to listen to anybody else. There's, there are no facts. There are no experts. Everything's how you feel is a deep thing going on in our culture. It predates Trump. And, it, and I think that it's going to take the work of a generation to get us back to some sense that we share a vision of reality where we can then sit down and discuss what we should do in terms of policy. Well, that's a very profound thing that you just said, Jim, that it will take the work of a generation. Absolutely right. And part of that work is going to be a reckoning for how technology works into all of this and how uh, what was once the crazy uncle in the attic has now come thumping down into the living room of American politics because of the way that uh, rumors crazy theories are spread uh, on the internet via social media. This will be a major project for how do we fix it in the coming months, I'm sure. And I'm, and I'm hopeful that we can bring in some smart people who can help us you know, work together to look to how to repair some of this damage, how to bring back some, some, some normalcy and some common sense. That's our show for today. I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. How Do We Fix It is produced by Miranda Schaefer and is a production of Davies Content. We make podcasts for companies and nonprofits. Please check us out at DaviesContent.com. And as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. And, and thanks for being part of our community.
This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 